No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me, on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. story time was scheduled in the rural town of Park Hill, Ontario. Protesters were expected, but what wasn't expected was a group of woman-identifying motorbike enthusiasts, some of which belonged to the group Wind Sisters. One of those women was 70-year-old Patricia Jin, or Sister Patricia, as she likes to be called. Sister Patricia and her friends showed up to support the folks trying to enter the Park Hill Library with their children. OPP officers were there too. Things got loud, nasty and derogatory things were said, and a bullhorn was activated to intimidate, among other things. But the group of women locked arms and later escorted families inside. Since then, Drag story time scheduled in another town in the same county was canceled for a number of reasons, but police could not guarantee the safety of the patrons, so the event was put on hold. Sister Patricia is passionate about supporting members of the 2S LGBTQ AI community and those wanting to attend and perform at drag story time. And she has a very special personal story about why she says the time is now for allies to show up. Her new group is now called Drag Storytime Guardians. A note that I want to add that during our conversation, I said I have been an ally for a long time. That is true. 
but I wasn't always as aware. In fact, I was ignorant. My allyship has grown over the years. All of us have things to learn, including me. Patricia, thank you so much for joining me here today. You've become kind of this, I want to say, rural superhero. First thing I want to ask is, who was the group that showed up in Park Hill? And then why did you show up? Well, to answer the first part of that question is, um, the group that showed up, which was uh, five of my writing friends, and they were both allies and queer uh, writers. And uh, I had put out a message to them when I had been hearing that uh, there were some issues at the Drag Queen story times in small town Ontario. And I thought that was really unusual. What the heck is that all about? And I had been kind of busy. Uh, and then I that one happened close to me and I thought, I'm going to go. I have got to go because I could hear more often that there were protesters attending. And so I put a call out to uh, some friends and I said, you know, let's all get together and go and let's wear our vests and let's show support. Um, so off we went, the five of us. And uh, it was pretty much what I anticipated it would be. But my friends had, some of them had never been at a protest before. So they were like, oh my God, what the hell is going on here? So we stood uh, arm in arm, locked in arm in arm in front of the door of the library. And I said, this is, this is where we need to be and this is what we need to be doing. We just need to show that we are protecting drag queens and children because, you know, that's, that's important. That's what's important here is that these kids be allowed to come in and hear a story time in small town Ontario. The response to our presence by the protesters was immediate and horrific. They just were vicious to us. Maybe a little bit more particular to me because I'm a big old butch and I became such a target for their hate. But I've felt that hate all my life. It wasn't new to me. So I put up my shield of armor, as I call it, and I just stood there and I just listened and I responded as I could appropriately, but it was it didn't take much to remind me that they really didn't want to have conversation. They just wanted to scream and yell at me, at us, and at the children who were approaching the library with their parents, going to story time. They screamed pedophile. They screamed freak. You're all going to hell. One parent came up with their biracial child child and and they attacked that child for their racial difference one woman had a bullhorn in my face for an hour and a half an hour and a half literally within 10 inches of my face just screaming at me the entire time screaming at us and when i say me i really mean us because we were locked arms we were together as we were sort of responding to the protesters and we could see that families were approaching and they were being attacked verbally we uh, decided to go over and start escorting the children and families into the library uh, with the assistance of the volunteers who were there and that just enraged them even further 
it was an embarrassing situation that we would have to escort children into a library and uh, and then stand there and take that abuse for as long as we did. That's literally how I came to be there with, you know, five riders and just... Uh, my coat of armor suits me well, but I don't want anybody to think that I didn't feel all of that because I did. It hurt my soul. Yeah, I was wondering what went through your head. Uh, I mean, in a lot of cases, you don't want to escalate things. You you don't want to yell back in a lot of cases because that just makes it worse. So what was going through your head? And it, this bullhorn is inches from your head. What goes through your mind? I've been in those protests before. My entire life, I'm 70 years old. I was born and bred in the Ottawa Valley, right at our seat of Parliament. So I have stood on the steps of our Parliament buildings. I have marched down Wellington Street. I have stood at the Eternal Flame. We have marched and marched and marched since I came out. Well, before I came out, but I came out when I was about 27 and I'm 70 now. So we're talking, you know, a few decades. Um, but I, I, I learned how to stand up, step forward, be counted uh, by some of the legends in the Ottawa area who fought for our right in uh, our constitution, our right to housing. They're like, I remember when we could be evicted if our landlord found out we were queer. We could lose our job if we found, if our boss found out we were queer. And if you had a child and you were queer, the father could apply to have that child removed and you could lose your child. I remember that. I remember that. And that deep pain that people would feel at the loss of, well, to not have those rights. So we worked really, really, really hard to get those rights ingrained. And then we just continued to kind of try and have people see us for who we are, just regular folks, you know, sisters, brothers, mothers, fathers. But the work never ends. And I, and I know that right now, I know that right now, this affront on drag queens is not an accident. This is a very intentional move by the ultra-right wing. They haven't had great success, you know, after the January 6th uh, cases in the States. So they've uh, certainly gathered. They're continuing their fight and they're coming over to small town Ontario. And they're going to go and pick the low-lying fruit, which is drag queens and children. Some of the people attending these events, they might look like just your average neighbor, but trust me, they're not. I know for our, our June 10th event, we've got Americans coming over. You know, they plan to cause a ruckus. They're sitting in a room somewhere planning because they really want to divide us by saying, you know, oh, drag queens and, and kids, that's horrible. We have to go and save the children. Save the children from what? After all that fighting for all those years, how... Did we get back to this place? This place has always been there. It's always been there. How did it become so 
in our face right now? How did it come that I had to get out of my little house and go get a bunch of people and go and stand and protect kids to go into a library? Uh, again, I say this is this is an organized attack on the queer community in Canada. They're strategically working the smaller communities around the large metropolitan areas. If you look at how, how they're doing that, right? And they're gathering their forces. They say that we're grooming and we're... But in fact, what they're doing is they're across the street talking to the neighbors. They're collecting names and supporters right in front of us. Because small conservative areas are prime picking for right, white supremacists and the ultra-right. This is like a feeding ground for them. So if they can build up their numbers, build up the momentum, build up the hate. If you look at, I think it's Norfolk County, where they're not even allowed to raise a pride flag. Council voted. And they are not allowed to raise a pride flag on any county property. That's like 20 years ago stuff. So that's Norwich. And they did enact that recently this week at their council. And the female council member who was fighting for the right to have a pride and for the flags resigned from that council at that last council meeting. I can only speak for myself. So I'm going to speak for myself. I live in rural Ontario myself. I'm a white, cis, white privileged woman. And I have been an ally for a long time. However, thank you. Well, no, thank you. I put out the call to action to all cis people, all our allies. Now is the time. We need you desperately. So I really mean it when I say thank you. I have just simply sidestepped and ignored folks like this in the past Mm -hmm. because I think, you know, there's not very many of them. They're going to go away. But now I feel like chicken little because I'm saying after the Freedom Convoy, those folks are organized. They plan that ahead of time. They have American allies. They are funded. And they are mobilizing. And this is, like you said, the, just the first thing. So after the summer, it will be the next target, yes. the next target of hate. And yes. so allies can be shields. We should be part of that linking arms. We should all be showing up at these protests. We should be acting as the shields so that people feel protected and safe in their own rural communities because all they want to do is show up as their authentic selves and live whatever kind of life they want to live, a quiet one or a loud one. It doesn't matter. What is your advice, like you said, call to rural folks across Canada who you don't think anything is happening? What's your call? I think a lot of our queer community has happily moved in some of the rural areas. You, you know, we're not just in downtown Church Street anymore in Toronto. We're everywhere. We're your neighbors. You know, we're your kids. You know, your mother may be queer. So 
it's not like you have to look far for people to support as an ally. But in, in terms of what do you do as a shield and a, as an action, as a response to the action is currently, and I'm just one of many, but I would say I have a, um, a Facebook page that's dedicated to our drag queen support. Um, and I am madly collecting people and they're contacting me from all across Canada and the U.S. and even into Great Britain to say, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Oh, my God, thank you. My son is gay. I love him desperately and I, I don't know how to protect him. That story is everywhere now. It's my child my friend, I encourage people to reach out to me for the time being. If you're within this broadcast, reach out to me and I'll share that my uh, email address with you um, so that I can kind of get you onto our action page and we can talk about how we can defend our communities together and show up where we're, where we need to show up. Form your own groups. You know, go to your libraries, ask them if they're having a, a drag story time. Ask the drag queens how you can help. You know, it's not just me. It's like, just ask them, how can I help? What do you need? Forgive me for not being aware before that you needed us, but I'm here now and I really want to help. That's what I want to hear. One of the things I think that makes people afraid of this particular situation with the drag story time and protesters is the violence and the escalation. So, so what's your advice about that? How do you handle the protesters? I think that that is in a lot of ways why people don't want to stand up or say something to them is because you don't want to throw gasoline on the fire. So what's your advice? In order to answer that question, I want to I want to step back for a minute and tell you what what their argument is, because that's important. Their argument is that there are drag queens in library rooms that are dressing provocatively. They're grooming your children. They are reading them all kinds of sexually deviant stories, and. That's how they are spreading the hate. Because nobody would want that for their child. Nobody. But that's not what's going on in those rooms. And so I, what I say to them is, have you been to a library story time? Have you been to, would you, would you like to come in with me and we'll sit and listen? They never do. They never do. Because they are invested in the hate. They're invested in the story that they've created and are running with in order to support their goal of breaking down society and gathering numbers to, to just have society collapse. And they're again, they're just coming after the easy pickings. I've been having some, and I call them conversations uh, by people who send me stuff and say, look at this video. Here's a proof of, you know, uh, a drag queen dressing provocatively in leather and lace and whips, and they're showing kids how to use whips. And, and I'm like, that is such a fake video. You know, drag queens can't hang upside down very well. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just not, it's just not real. Um, 
you know, so, and so of course, then they find me more videos that are clearly doctored, but they don't want to hear the truth. They are so invested in society saying, that's not right. We should not be letting our children go to that. And I'm going to mention Kamoka at the moment, which is a small town that you're aware of. They had a drag queen story time scheduled. And uh, we had people collecting to go and support it. And I got word uh, that it had been canceled. And the reason it was canceled was that the OPP met with the library people and said, we cannot guarantee the safety of everyone attending. They had their own rationale, but the end of the story was they could not guarantee the safety. So the library did what it felt it needed to do to ensure that no one was hurt. The right wing is now putting out stuff about what a win that was for them. They've got posters plastered. They're circulating stuff through their forums saying, we won, we won, we won. We need to get stronger. We need to do more, you know. And I was heartbroken when I read that because I knew that they were going to take that as a win. But now it's motivated me even further to ensure that we're stronger. And now I have conversations directly with the OPP as do the libraries. I just had a conversation with the OPP representative in uh, Simcoe County because we've got three events coming up there saying, here's, here's what we're, we're going to do. We're going to show up. We're going to provide support. We're not there to cause problems. We're there to form a strong line so that parents can take their children to story time without being called pedophile. That's what we're trying to do in response to Kamoka is to take that loss and turn it into a lot of wins. And we need your help to do that. And so you need people to show up. Absolutely. This is not all about motorcycle riders by any means. Motorcycle riders will show up as they are able, but we have so many people who are going to be showing up you know, in vans and cars, and we're even looking at how to get larger groups there. I don't want anybody to think you have to be a motorcycle rider to attend. You do not. You don't, you don't have to be queer to attend. We need the numbers to show up on the right side of the barricade and say, not here, not today. Do you think there's any way to find common ground with these folks? You know, I'd really like to say yes. I'd really like to say yes. But they're on a mission. They feel they are on a mission from God. And I say that because uh, one of the groups I was talking to said that, that there, could we please come to this next event? Because the last event, the church group came in and sat in all the seats so the kids couldn't. How awful is that? How awful is that? They believe they are saving the children. You have a personal story. I wanted to ask you about why you are so committed to defending the rights of queer folks. I was born in small town Quebec, village. Cold water tap in the kitchen. 
Uh, it was just in the Ottawa Valley, so across the river from Ottawa, a little village called Deschaines, Quebec, which doesn't exist now. And um, I knew early on that I was not like the other little girls. You know, um, I wanted to build tree forts. I wanted to help my dad fix the car. Um, I wanted to do the things that the boys were doing. Uh, I really wasn't interested in dolls. But knowing that you're different doesn't necessarily give you the language for what that difference is because there's no one out there like me. You know, it's not like I could just Google, you know, how do I know if I'm queer? Back then in a small town, you kept that secret. If you actually had the consciousness to say, I think I'm queer. You know, you hid your difference. Because it wasn't safe to be different. I was fortunate enough to hook up with a young man who was also queer. And so we became boyfriend-girlfriend for years. Not that we were in a romantic relationship, but we could hide behind each other. And we could, you know, people wouldn't ask us out because we were together. So that happened for years. And then I moved to Ottawa and... I connected with some really powerful, powerful people. And I'll tell you that little story of one day I'm sitting in my little apartment in Ottawa and I'm watching Charlie's Angels. And I realized that I was looking at the women as an attraction, not the men. And I thought, Oh my God, I think I'm queer. And I got, and this will, you know, a lot of people won't understand this. The youngers, youngsters won't. I picked up the phone book and I went to the G's under gay and I found gays of Ottawa. And I phoned that number because they had a hotline. And uh, my dear, dear friend Marie Robertson answered the phone, who was a powerhouse in Ottawa. And she said to me, you know, we had a conversation and she said, here's, here are where you, some of the places you can go. Gaze of Ottawa has a thing going on. There's the women's bookstore, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of queer folk go to and just connected me with the queer community. And so that's how I, that's how I came out. That's who I connected with. And that's how I started merging because I just, I just had to imagine what it was like if I didn't have that. What would my life have been if I couldn't have looked in the phone book for Gays of Ottawa? Marie is a, still a really close friend of mine, and she continues to work hard for our community as well. Both of us are kind of senior. Well, we're not kind of senior. We are seniors. I'm 70, and she is the same age. So we're working really hard for, as well, two SLGBTQIA plus community seniors. Uh, I work in long-term care for a, a period of time, and it's not a safe place for seniors. It's just not. The, what we say is, if you're going to go into long-term care, you've got to go back in the closet. Isn't that horrible? You've worked all your life to be who you are, and now you've got to go back in the closet because it's not safe for you in long-term care. So I march. I show up. 
I showed up at a church in Picton one day because they, uh, the priest posted in the Sunday missive that none of the parishioners should go to any pride event because they're just after our children. And I thought to myself, and a young man, Curtis Jeffrey, organized a protest, a peaceful protest at uh, the church for the upcoming Sunday. And I stood up and I'm like, I gotta go. So off I went to Picton. I didn't know anybody there then. I hadn't been living there that long. And it was a lovely event. It was very peaceful. People were, you know, there were collared clergy there. There were children drawing chalk things on the sidewalks and parents, allies. Very peaceful. And I looked up at the church and I saw those big church doors close to us. And the parishioners were walking around the back. And I walked up the steps of the church and I started greeting the parishioners, welcoming them to church. Out the door came what I called the three dark horsemen who were enraged that I would dare to stand on the steps of the church and welcome parishioners. They spent a fair bit of time trying to bully me off the steps, but I don't bully that easy. So I literally just, as they were screaming at me, turned my back to them and continued to greet parishioners. Welcome to Mass. Let me get that door for you. Enjoy the service. They lost their shit. They just lost their shit. They insisted that I leave. They they went into the crowd and got police to remove me from the steps. And again, I stood there. And as I stood there, a young woman, 17, a teenager, walked up and said, Do you mind if I stand with you? And I could have cried. I could have cried. So she came up and we stood shoulder to shoulder, surrounded by people who hated us, behind us. And the police officer said, she's not doing anything wrong. You need to calm down, sir. And then she turned to me and she said, so what's your plan? And I said, well, it's three minutes to 10. And in three minutes, I'm going to walk through those doors as a baptized Catholic. And I am going to attend mass. But until such time, I'm going to stand here and and welcome parishioners. And so that's how that day went. You know, often people say one person can't make a change. I'm a living example. You are a living example. We are all living examples. We all have a story that we can tell that says, I made a change that day. I walked up the steps of the church. Curtis organized that protest. That young butch stepped up and said, can I stand with you? So then the one turns into two. And then the crowd starts to see that there's something going on and they step forward and they insisted that they all get off the church property and I said it's public property we're staying and together we became hundreds and then we did a deposition to the council 
to declare Picton, Ontario, a 2SLGBTQIA plus safe community. That deposition was accepted with all seven suggestions of reviewing all of their policies and procedures to ensure that they were in compliance with human rights. So now we got a town full of people from that one moment. And our other moment was Park Hill. It's going to be big. You don't want to miss this. People say it about climate change. What are you going to tell your kids about what side you were on when this came down? And, and I think that that's true, that you can't sit quietly and do nothing. Now, I will say, though, that flying a flag at your house, we ha- live on quite a prominent road. And despite people vandalizing our solar lights, one person anonymously dropped off a bottle of wine and a Starbucks card and said, thank you. Oh my God, I love that. That makes my heart happy as I drive into work every day. And so we knew, my husband kept that flag up all winter, tattered and torn, but it kind of symbolizes the pride movement in a way that despite being tattered and torn, it is still there and still strong. As are you. (laughs) Because if you weren't there to hold up the flag, to put that flag there, that one action has affected your neighborhood. Somebody feels safer on your street. I'm really thinking about going and raising a flag at uh, Norwich and bringing about 200 of my closest and dearest friends. And we're all going to show up with flags and we're going to raise them. Not on their flagpole, but we're going to raise them because we have every right to be there. I think that... People will get in touch with you. I think that what you're doing is amazing. And I wonder where you get the strength from. I wonder, it's exhausting to have to do this. Where I get the strength from, and I I don't know how much more time we've got, but I'll I'll try and make this short, is uh, not only am I 70, but I also have leukemia. And I also have a liver disease. And... My chemo that I take daily for my uh, leukemia failed me about a year and a half, two years ago. Completely failed me. And the other one that I tried that I had left to try, damn near, it tried to kill me. So uh, I was lying in my hospital bed thinking, is this how it goes? Is this my moment? Is this how it ends? And when you come close to possibly death, a number of things can happen. But for me, it was, I'm okay if I die. And if I live, I want to be able to live the life that I cherish. 
I need to continue to just be who I am in ways that are important. So when I started a clinical trial at the 11th hour, as the last entrant to that clinical trial, and I'll tell you right now, I'm a really proud Canadian because of our health system. That drug cost the Canadian government $36,000 a month for this old butch. That's a whole other story. So when I uh, started this clinical trial and I started to feel okay that I was going to live, and when you're lying in that bed for so long recovering, you really start to think about, what am I going to do when I can get out of this bed? Who am I going to be now that I've experienced this a little bit too close to death feeling? How grateful am I? And how do I demonstrate that to people I love? What more can I do? And then Perkins showed up. So I go. When I get tired, I have to go home. My sister worries about me so much. She worries herself sick for me. You should be at home resting. How can I rest? How can I rest when my people are under attack? We cannot rest. Again, I say to you, now is the time. If you can't come and stand beside a 70-year-old butch who's got leukemia, if you can't find the time to do it, then, you know, maybe you need to take a look around and, and say, what's important to you? What's important to you? Do you have a gay child? I get, I get texts and really long emails from people saying, you know, I am so proud of what you do. As I said, I'm a mother. And then she tells her friends, like, what if it was your child that was walking up to that library? What if it was your child and you saw people attacking your child and screaming, calling your son perhaps a pedophile? What would you do? Which side would you be on? Do you believe in this God that they claim doesn't love queer folks? My argument, and you know, baptized Catholic, I've been up St. Joseph's Oratory on my knees, you know, saying the rosary here, went to school with nuns. No, I don't believe them because my response is usually, I am a child of God. God does not make mistakes. So who are you to send me to hell and damnation when God loves me? It's all over the Bible, but again, it doesn't suit their story. I'm really, really fortunate to have an ally who's a Catholic school teacher. So whenever we get the Catholics or the religious groups coming, she goes and stands and talks to them for at least half an hour and just recites the Bible back to her in their contrary verses. When they say this verse says da-da-da-da-da, she has all of it. 
So we got quite a good little group going on. Anything else you'd like to add, Patricia? Sister Patricia. Sister Patricia. That's my motorcycle name. Uh, I love it that people call me that. Again, I want to make sure people understand that I have a separate group for this. Um, And anybody who wants assistance, support for an event where they feel that there may be protesters can reach me at uh, sisterpatricia at gmail.com. And I'm sure you can put that somewhere in writing. S-I-S-T-A-P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A at gmail.com. And I'm pretty sure I'll also get some haters uh, who are going to send me a note. And that's okay too, because, you know, gives me an opportunity to have a conversation. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. You know, it, it really rejuvenates me to have these conversations and say, this is why we're here and this is what we're doing. And thank you for joining. Thank you. And I hope to meet you in person very, very soon. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, And as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 